Lord Jesus, we just pray for Nigel that you would bless him, that you would equip him and enable him as he speaks to us. We thank you for the gift he and Joe are to this church. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Am I on that? Is that clear? Can you hear me? Great. Well, this is lovely. How lovely to be back. Thank you, Tom and Tess. Um, if you don't know who I am, because <laughs> you've just come to the church in the last uh, three months or so, I'm Nigel and this is Joe, and we, um, we lead the church. But we've been on a sabbatical for three months, which was wonderful. And you'll probably want me to tell you what we did on our sabbatical. Um, that's not what my talk is about today, but I will just say that um, we were incredibly grateful for the time that the trustees and the church um, freed up and enabled us to have uh, away from working. We've been doing this job for 11 years, I think, now. And um, we, uh, in truth, it's pretty hard to say in one sentence what we did. Um, my main word is that I decompressed on the sabbatical, you, you know, um, meaning emotionally, I mean, not physically, as you can see. Um, but, um, or maybe, oh, I don't know, whatever. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that, never mind. Um, but um, but uh, we had some time to rest, we had some time with our family, uh, we had some time to do DIY, um, we had some time to pray, and we're still in the middle of a, a journey of spiritual exercises each day, um, following um, uh, the, the work of somebody called Saint Ignatius, which is really exciting and has proved to be life-giving. Um, uh, we'd set aside this two-week window to, um, in order to share. To, well, I said, oh, we'll share something. I'm not quite sure what we'll share. And I didn't know if we'd share particularly from our sabbatical. I don't think I've fully processed really what God has been saying and doing uh, with us. So I think that'll come out. Um, but I was praying um, a few weeks ago, and I felt like God gave me this phrase. Um, but I, before I get to that, I just want to say one other thing, which is I just want to welcome, now I don't want to embarrass them and I don't want to make them stand up or single them out, but um, two friends of mine, Rolly and Sophie, are here. And um, you may not know Rolly, just give us a little wave, you don't have to stand up or anything. Um, Rolly um, and Sophie are based at the cathedral. Um, Rolly is they're actually on a sabbatical as well, um, fantastic. I come back here. Um, <laughs> Rolly is the vice canon of Winchester Cathedral. He's been a spiritual leader in our city for, uh, I don't know how long, but at least as long as I've been here, well over 11 years. Um, he's, um, Rolly and I have been involved in various initiatives together, churches together, things, and other things in the city. And in fact, Sophie, as well as an artist, who's just, a lot of her work is based around the cathedral, and you will have seen or been aware of some of it if you have anything to do with the cathedral. I just want to honor you and bless you and welcome you. It's lovely to have you guys today. <clears throat> and, um, you know, afterwards when we're having coffee, go and make them welcome and, and make sure we chat to them. Um, the, the word that I felt that God was giving me, can you put the first slide up for me, please, uh, Rebecca, um, was, the, that was this, the king is on his throne. Now, if I'm honest, I don't really, didn't really know where this was going, and I, I'm, I'm not actually still sure if I really know where this is going, but I did really, really sense strongly that God was giving me this word and that I was supposed to share it um, with us um, this morning. So here goes. Holy Spirit, help me. Um, <laughs> it's ironic. Paul, Paul and Katie and the team who've been leading the church, I was talking to Paul and Paul said, oh, you know, if there's one thing that you don't really want to happen while you're sort of caretaker leading, it's for the queen to die, okay? Um, <laughs> you know, it's one of those, you know, imagine just sort of stepping up to the role of, say, Archbishop of Canterbury or something. And then, anyway, 
so a month ago or so, you'll know that our nation went into mourning at the death of the Queen, and after 70 years, she was the longest-serving monarch. And I felt like her passing was momentous in itself for many, many reasons, and um, spent some time reflecting on it. And Joe, in fact, went up to London and spent 13 hours walking along the, uh, the River Thames, queuing to go and walk past um, the Queen's coffin. I didn't have the patience or the energy for that. Um, but, but Joe really felt that that was something she wanted to do, and... Um, uh, I think you had a great day, didn't you? Chatting with all the people that she'd met on that day and ended up praying with one of them and just making a lot of friends very quickly. Um, but alongside all of that and alongside the sudden grief and loss of the Queen passing, um, and I don't know if you noticed this, but I noticed that we also had to very quickly come to terms with the idea that we've now got a new monarch, right? And so all of a sudden, and, and looking around, yeah, I reckon for the first time in most of our lifetimes, Okay, maybe there's a few of you who remember um, before the Queen, but certainly not many. Um, for the first time in our lifetimes, we're suddenly going, oh, we've got a new king. And he's not a queen, he's a king. Uh, you know, because in our country, when a monarch dies, the transfer of power is immediate. You know that phrase, the queen is dead, well, in this case, long live the king, you know? Um, and I heard a news commentator talking about this and talking about how this immediate succession from one to the other is, is meant to, it's designed to provide a continuity and a safety so that we're never, never not without a monarch. And the BBC News described it like this. They said, at the moment the Queen died, the throne passed immediately and without ceremony to the heir, Charles, the former Prince of Wales. And so obviously there were, there were and there still are practical and formal and traditional steps that he must go through to be formally crowned king. And if you're like me, you watch with amusement or fascination on the Saturday morning when everybody dressed up in really fancy clothes and, did you see that? Went out on the streets and blew trumpets and declared that the, I just was really fascinated by that, that this is the new king. Um, and although he's not actually physically spending much time sitting on a very grand throne, although he did at one point, um, although he's not spending time doing that, we can accurately say that King Charles is now on the throne because of the way language works, meaning that he has put, assumed a position of power and authority that goes along with being king. Many of us watched the Queen's funeral service, and in particular, Joe and I were really struck. I mean, it was, a, it was an amazing service and an amazing day, but we were really struck by the, the, the almost towards the very end, it was a very moving, quite low-key ceremony when the symbols of royalty that had rested, that had, that had been given to her at her coronation and were resting on her throne, the symbols of royalty were taken off her coffin. Do you remember this? Did anybody watch this? And they were moved um, onto the altar at, the, at Windsor Chapel, um, symbolizing that her role had been fulfilled. And that after these incredible decades of service, to the government and to the nation and to the world that she had actually returned just to being an ordinary person. It was a stark reminder that whatever power, wealth, success or notoriety one might have gained in this world, we really don't get to take any of it with us. And it just got me to thinking that even monarchs come and go, even if like Elizabeth they lived incredible lives of integrity and service and they're worthy of honor and praise and celebration and, and majesty and all of that. Actually, no one in this world goes on forever, but we do have a king who is on the throne, who reigns forever. We've just been singing about him. Praise the Father, praise the Son. 
you know, king of glory, majesty, praise forever to the king of kings. Whoever our monarch currently is, our king is always on the throne. God has been and is and always will be our supreme monarch, the king of the universe, the king of the kings. And actually, Queen Elizabeth knew that, didn't she? I loved when uh, Justin Welby, oh, I thought he did an amazing talk at her, at her service. And he, I just, one quote from it was this. He said, her late majesty's example was not set through her position or her ambition, but through whom she followed. I know his majesty shares the same faith and hope in Jesus as his mother and the same sense of service and duty. That's what Welby said. And I thought that was really fascinating. And so what I wanted to do today was briefly look into the Bible. There are many places in the Bible that talk about the king being on the throne. That's not one of them. Um, I think I've got that slide in the wrong place. That's my fault anyway. Um, Psalm 47. How, that's, that's interesting. How many people do watch Game of Thrones? I've never watched it. I've heard about it. I mean, from what I understand, Game of Thrones is a drama that's all about people fighting for power and authority. To be the one who sits on that fancy, that's the sort of fancy metal throne made of swords that symbolizes power. Isn't it? It's interesting, isn't it? Um, look at the Bible. Psalm 47 says this. Sing praise to our God. Sing praise to our King. The King of all the earth. Sing him a psalm of praise. That's just what we've been doing. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble. And the people of God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly Exalted. You see, to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, is to know God the Father and Son and to believe and acknowledge that we have a king who rules over everything else. That no matter what is going on in our lives or in the world around us, that no matter how challenging that is, that he is still on the throne. The king is on the throne. I wonder how you're feeling about what every, everything that's going on in the world right now. I don't think it's been a very straightforward time, has it? It feels like we've been experiencing constant turmoil for the last few years, actually, with one crisis after another. I mean, I just made a little list, but Brexit divisions, political upheaval, the COVID pandemic, and then even just this year, we've got war in Ukraine and leadership failure, <laughs> and we've got an energy crisis and an economic turmoil. It was, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that many people are currently feeling unsettled or nervous or maybe even fearful about how life is going to go. I mean, just one of those events I listed could cause chaos, never mind the cumulative effects of all of them. And that big stuff is out there. And then there's the big stuff in here. Maybe you're struggling with health issues or grief or relationship tension or career um, going wrong or school or college or uni stress or finances or friendships or parenting or looking after your aged parents, what just one of those things can tip you over the edge. And while it's completely understandable, it would be completely understandable to feel lost, nervous, or anxious, to not know where to turn to. Actually, as we've just sung, the truth is that we have a king who is still on the throne. And he hasn't changed. And none of this is a surprise to him. That doesn't mean he let it happen or that he likes it, but he's not surprised. He's not caught off guard. And even though stuff is kicking off all around us, God hasn't changed. And his nature hasn't changed. And his character hasn't changed. And when we are in need of comfort or reassurance or wisdom or hope or salvation or healing, God is present and available and kind and calm and merciful and in control. 
How do I know this? Because the Bible tells me that the king is on the throne. So what do we mean when we say that God is on the throne, that he's seated on the throne? And how does that affect us and what are we going to do about it? I want to look briefly at a few different um, aspects of that from different Bible verses. And the first one is this. God's throne is a place of power and authority. And the prophet Micaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing on his right and his left. Now, powerful people often command a big room. The level of someone's authority is usually shown by the number of people that are around them, that help them enact their authority. And here, Micaiah is seeing a vision of God in his heavenly throne room, surrounded by the heavenly beings, multitudes of them. A similar grand scene is described by Isaiah. We'll come to that later. And you know, whilst an act, as I, I kind of said this, but whilst an actual physical throne is the special seat that's, that's there in the room, that's where the monarch sits, it's just a symbol of, it's a symbol of royal power with massive significance. You know, when um, the king or queen sits on the throne, they're enacting their position of authority, like in Game of Thrones, like in the opening of Parliament every year. Even though there will only be a few times when they actually sit physically on a throne, as I said, they are always said to be and thought to be on the throne. In other words, when you say the king is on the throne, that means there is power and authority, and it is with God, and he is always in that position. He's always the king carrying ultimate power and authority and control in the universe. And not only does God have ultimate power and authority that goes with the throne, God also, God's throne is a place of sovereignty. And so in Psalm 103, it says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. It's all very well having power. The question is, what are you going to do with your power? In fact, I read this in, that place, in a place where I find most of my information, accurate information, Wikipedia, and it says, the purpose of sovereignty is to provide freedom, equality, and justice for the people over whom you govern. Freedom, equality, and justice. We see, with great power comes great responsibility. Now, we all know about rulers and leaders and kings who abuse their power and authority and use it for their own ends. Here's another quote of Justin Welby's. I love this as well. People of loving service are rare in any walk of life. Leaders of loving service are still rarer, but in all cases, those who serve will be loved and remembered when those who cling to power and privileges are forgotten. And it was interesting to know where he was looking when he said those quotes, wasn't it? <laughs> God's purposes are to bring about, God's purposes as sovereign are to bring about freedom and equality and justice for all. We've already been praying about that this morning. God is, his ultimate purpose is to love and save and free his people. How does he do that? Well, ultimately, he did that through Jesus. And that leads us on to the next um, part, which, is that going to move? Can you move that on for me? Because that's not, my clicker isn't clicking. Um, is a place, God's throne is a place of majesty and honor. You see, when a king or queen invites someone to sit next to them on their throne, it's their way of saying, I'm treating this person with honor and with respect, and I'm giving them an equal status to myself. And the Bible describes in detail in a number of places how Jesus, having come to earth, is taken by God back into heaven and seated at God's right hand. In other words, given equal honor, equal status, and therefore worthy of our praise and worship. We have a high priest who's sitting at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And again in 1 Peter, 
the early church spent about 300 years debating the nature of Jesus. Okay, trying to figure out if they could honestly, truly, hand on heart, say that this figure, Jesus, was a genuinely human and also God. It took them about 300 years to argue it, and then they got to a thing called the Council of Nicaea, and then they made a creed, the Nicene Creed, and they decided that, yes, we could, we could, we could legitimately, hand on heart, say that Jesus was both man and God. And we won't go into that, but that's important. The New Testament writers talk about how Jesus came to earth and then returned to heaven and is clearly placed at the right hand of God. Equal status with God. And so when we, recognize to, when we choose to recognize that God is on the throne, we're also choosing to hold his son Jesus in the highest esteem. We're choosing to treat him with the greatest honor and to worship him and to praise him. That's why we come to worship regularly. And it's why we choose to live our lives in a way that will give him glory. Because God's throne is not just a place of authority and power, not just a place of majesty and sovereignty, but an honor. It's also a place of praise. Psalm 66 says, Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. All the earth bows to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praises of your name. Here's one more verse. Uh, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 3. I heard every creature in heaven and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. You see, God's throne is a place of constant worship. And when we worship God here on earth, all we're really doing is joining in with the worship in heaven which never stops. It's the natural response of a created being to their creator. Worship is what we were made for. It's what we were designed to do. As John Wimber used to say, we're all going to worship. It's just the question is, who or what are you going to worship? Worship is one of the simplest and best ways to reconnect with God on a heart level, to take our focus away from ourselves and to reestablish our heart connection with him. I have found in my life, and even more so in the last three months as I've been on sabbatical, that worshiping God by singing, listening to worship music, by praying, by reading the Bible, by taking a walk in nature, it has become something that I just simply have to do really, really regularly. I'd like to say every day, but I don't think I manage it every day, but regularly enough to keep my life in balance. There is so much else going on that I find that I have to sort of metaphorically come back to the throne room just to remind myself of who God is and who I am. Psalm 22, I don't have a slide for this, but Psalm 22 says that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. I just want to say one thing about that. That doesn't mean that it's our praise that gives him the status. Because we can, we can misunderstand that and misread it sometimes. You know, perhaps another way to translate that would be that God is enthroned above the praises of his people. So in other words, what the psalm is saying is God is on the throne and we are praising him. And he's worthy of our praise. And we can get that bit mixed up. And you know, about 30 years ago, somebody wrote a popular worship song called Jesus, We Enthrone You. And if we're not careful, we can imagine a scenario where he is on the throne because of something that we're doing. And we don't put Jesus on the throne. 
And, and I think what the writers of that song were trying to get to was, it, it's a personal thing, I'm trying to enthrone you, as in declare that you're on the throne in my life. I think that's a legitimate aim. But if we're not careful, we can just get into this mindset where we say, oh, he's on the throne because of something we're doing. That's not the truth. He's on the throne and we praise him. He's enthroned above the praises of his people, but his status isn't dependent on us. It's just that because of who he is, we can't help but praise him, can we? I'm more than halfway through this, so you'll be pleased to know that. I'm going to have a drink now. It's funny, isn't it? I've told a few people this morning I've forgotten how to preach. Yes. Thank you. That's advice from my wife. There are some things I just need to think and not actually say out loud. Um, God's throne is a place of holiness and a place of purity. God reigns over the nations. He's seated on his holy throne. And I love this. This is one of the key texts for this whole idea of God being on the throne. This is the vision that Isaiah has. In the year that King Uzzah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe fills the temple. I'm so, so tempted to just make a train whistle noise at that point every single time. It doesn't mean that kind of train, does it? But it, I just, ooh. Anyway, um, above him were seraphim, and it describes the angels, and then it says that they were calling to one another, and the song that they are singing is holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So when we talk about God's throne being a place of holiness, we mean that God is set apart, that he is different, that he is otherly, that he is not like us. The ESV study Bible defines God's holiness as this, this sentence. It says, as being absolutely and uniquely excellent above all creation and without sin. You see, God has standards. He has a standard for the way that he acts and behaves. And unfortunately, you and I just don't match up. We just don't make it. Because he's perfect, because he's holy... Well, we don't, we don't have, actually, on our own, we don't have a chance of ever getting close. Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We're all guilty. We've all messed up. You might think you're a better sinner or a worse sinner. You might think you've done some, some bad things, but not really terrible things. It doesn't make any difference. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We're all guilty. We've all done things that will alienate us from God, our perfect creator. Things that don't allow us to come into his presence. Because he has a perfect score, and we never will. His standards are high, and our sin would contaminate him. His throne is a place of holiness and purity. And I know the story doesn't stop there, but just for a moment, God's throne is also a place of perfect justice. Psalm 9, the Lord reigns forever, and he has established his throne for judgment, and he rules the world in righteousness and he judges the people with equity. You see, if you've done something wrong and you go before a judge, you, can, you probably expect to get some sort of consequence. But what you can expect as well is a fair trial. Now, I know there are some places in the world where you don't get a fair trial, and that's a tragedy. But here particularly, and in most places, if you've broken the law, yes, you expect consequences, but you do expect a fair hearing. Judgment means getting a fair hearing. 
And judgment also means getting what we deserve. And God is the perfect judge. And so the truth is that actually, in his eyes, we, none of, as I just said, none of us make it. We've all fallen short. We've all broken the law. We all deserve judgment. All of us. And if the story stops there, we're in trouble, aren't we? Because God's throne becomes a place that we can never, ever go. We can't approach it. We can't go near it. Just like in the Old Testament, when um, worship in the Old Testament was different to what it is now, and it all happened in the temple. And there was this place called the Holy of Holies, which was behind a big curtain, and this beautiful, ornate place, and it was thought of as the place where God dwelt, as heaven on earth. And it was so holy and so special that only one priest, once a year, could go in. And even he was lucky if he made it out alive. You see, we're not good enough to enter his presence. We will never make the grade. As I said, we'll always fall short. But this is where the gospel comes in, doesn't it? This is where the New Testament kicks in. Because God's throne is also a place of grace. And in Hebrews chapter 4, there's a beautiful passage that describes approaching the throne of grace. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to the faith we profess. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he took our place. He dealt with our sin, effectively swapping his perfect score with our imperfect one. And the Bible has a fancy word for this. It calls it righteousness. It means like the state of being right with God. He describes, and the Bible describes how for those who chose to believe, what choose to believe, what happens is we swap our scores and we are given Jesus' score and we take on his righteousness or his rightness. And so in the words of Paul to the Romans, we're no longer dead to sin, we're alive to Christ. And we saw this enacted so beautifully last week in our baptism service with Peter telling her story. When we give our life to Jesus, what happens is we swap our lousy rubbish score with his perfect one. And when God looks at us now, he doesn't look at our score, he looks at Jesus's. It's like it's mapped on. This is a bit of a weird analogy, but I think it works. Joe's mum just got a new phone, but she wants to keep her old number. And it's really annoying because it takes 24 hours or 48 hours or whatever for the phone company to work it out. But what, so, so she has this phone now and it has a different number, but what the company, phone company is going to do is somewhere, somehow, somebody here might know how this works technologically, but somewhere, somehow, they're going to take the, the other number and they're going to map it onto her phone so that whenever you dial that number, it calls her phone. Am I right? Nod at me if you know how this actually works. I hope it's a good analogy. I know you know this sort of thing, Tom. Right. Um, it's mapped on. And so when, God, when we come up before God's throne of judgment and he looks for our score, he doesn't look at our score, he looks at Jesus' score because it's mapped on. 
Do you get me? Yeah, just smile sympathetically if you don't understand. Um, that's fine. So we can be close to God. We're not excluded. We're not shut out. Absolutely the opposite. We have access. We can be close to God and we can stand, and we do stand, blameless and righteous before this throne of holiness and purity. And we're not going to be judged according to our sin. We're going to be judged according to Jesus' righteousness. And the Bible says that only the redeemed, those who've been granted the righteousness of Christ, will have a right to stand before the throne. And so we've been cho- if we've chosen to follow Jesus, that's us. Jesus makes absolutely all the difference. It doesn't matter where our life's at. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter if there's carnage and chaos and we don't think we're ever going to make anything work. If we're choosing to follow Jesus, if we're trusting him, then we have his score and we can stand before God's throne and we are saved and we're healed and we're forgiven because of God's grace. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to make it happen. In fact... That was part of the deal that Paul was teaching everybody, wasn't it? You can't, you can't earn this stuff. It's so outrageous. It's the gospel. It's the good news. That Jesus makes all the difference. And, you know, we saw it when Jesus died on the cross. The story says that the temple curtain was ripped in two. Access suddenly becomes available for everybody. And so the king is on his throne, and it's a throne of grace. And we can live in that reality every single day. Now, some of us, Some of us imagine God as a figure of authority, like a high court judge or a really strict head teacher or a really high status political leader or a king or a queen, somebody who's unapproachable. Maybe we carry shame and guilt. Maybe our own parents who were supposed to teach us about authority weren't very approachable. And so we struggle to relate to God as somebody who's approachable. But I'm telling you, this God, this king, he's a father. It's not like this. We imagine it's a bit like this. Can't even see him. Many stairs to climb. Can't get close. But this king is a father. A father who invites us into relationship with him. And whatever we've done, his throne is a place of grace. And so I love this painting by Leonardo da Vinci. It's a bit dark, isn't it? I don't know if you can see, but the prod- it's a prodigal son, and he's literally got his head in the father's lap. Because we are invited into a relationship with the King of Kings. We are, you could, you, we could honestly say, we are connected to power. We have friends in high places. We have influence. My dad, do you know my dad? He's the king of all the universe. And he's got the resources that we need. And he simply invites us to come. And if you find today that you're in need of strength or courage or reassurance or peace or healing or wisdom or frankly anything, then God's power is available today, here and now. We can connect to the King of Kings. We can connect with and receive and experience his power from on high. And it will change us. And it's available here today. And in about one or two minutes, we would love to pray for you. If you would like that. If for any reason, at this point in your life, you could say that God is not really on the throne in my life. I mean, he's on the throne out there, but what about in my life? If for any reason you can say that God isn't on the throne, 
This is, there's absolutely no judgment here. There's just an invitation. Would you like to put him on the throne of your life? For the first time? Or for the first time in a long time? Would you like to give your yes to him? Would you like to submit control? Would you like to tap into the power that he offers? I had this experience, I think I've probably told you about it before. When I was 21, I um, was on the way back from a gig and I rode a car off and I had a big crash. And um, I went back a month later to the same spot and I marveled that I hadn't been more hurt than I was. I wasn't hardly hurt at all. I was actually asleep at the wheel when, when the crash happened, so I don't really remember any of it, and I just had whiplash injuries. But I remember at the age of 21, at the side of this road, it's the A45 near Rugby, I remember being there and thinking, wow, God must have kept me alive for a reason, because I could have died here. He must have a plan for my life. And it's not in any way as dramatic as that. But over the past three months in the, in the sabbatical, I've been thinking about new things. I've been thinking about the fact that that was 32 years ago. And having led the church for 10 or 11 years, I'm in a season where I'm saying, okay, Lord, what, what's the next thing? I'm not about to leave, by the way. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. But I'm just asking God, what's in the next, what's in the next season? What have you got for us? Are we still here for a reason? Have you got something for us to do? And I find myself, I have found myself submitting my life again several times over the past few months to Jesus and saying, here I am, you, I want you on the throne of my life. In the personal stuff and in the work stuff and in everything. And that's the invitation that he gives to us. So why don't you stand? And guys, come on.